Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Arg My Optics, a podcast where grown adults discuss, overanalyze and generally take a toy media franchise originally intended for kids a little too seriously. Increasingly, not that of Transformers. (laughs) (laughs) I am your modern toy weary host, Orion Gear, more and more going by my day-to-day nickname of Sleeves these days. And with me is my largely clueless in regards to the topic I've selected today on account of him being 15 years my junior, co-host, Virtual Dave. How's it going, Dave? Hello. Hello, everyone. Yeah, it's going good. Yeah. Excellent. So I think I mentioned in our last episode that I've not been feeling Transformers as much recently. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, the current state of the toy industry, full stop, to be honest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, as a healthy distraction, I've been going vintage of late and dabbling in, uh, yeah, more vintage toys. I've dabbled in Transformers, vintage Transformers over the years, so I fancied something different. So, uh, I've been getting into Starcom recently. So, um, Dave, what did you know of Starcom before I ever mentioned it to you? Nothing. (laughs) I think it's pretty fair to say, even though you mentioned it, of our age difference, I'm pretty clued in on a lot of 80s franchises, toy lines that were around before me. And Starcom is one that I've never heard of before. Yeah. It's weird, really, because it was around. It was present. I remember it being around. I remember other kids having it. So the idea that it's kind of been largely forgotten is sort of crazy to me. I mean, especially so as I understand it now, is that it was quite popular here. Yeah. Which is not even like one of those things that got lost to time in America, like, because they had so many different things going on. But I mean, one of the few toy lines we had here and went on for a while, I don't I don't think I even know anyone who had it or seen it in someone's bin of old toys or anything. Yeah, it was it was much more popular here than it was in America and lasted a lot longer as a result. So... What do you what do you know it to be now? Please describe after after your many many hours of research. Describe to us what Starcom is, and then I'll fill in the the gaps. Well, I mean, what do you mean, toy wise or story wise? Both, either. Okay, from what I understand of the story, which by the cartoon is not a lot, um, <laughs> some point in the future, human beings have ventured off to other planets to some various degree of setting up bases and uh, outposts around said planets. And there is some sort of elite force called Starcom who kind of patrol, protect, and survey the science missions on these planets. Mm-hmm. And then there are these other chaps called... Uh, what are they called? Shadow Force. Shadow Force, who are very unclear about what, what they actually want, except for just stealing things from Starcom or just dicking about with their technology now and then. Yeah. And we're like, oh, well, we'll take that and we'll apply it to our things. Mm-hmm. I don't really get what they what they want. Um, yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about the cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but they're there and they, like, there is a battle that ensues between the two forces over technology and resources and, you know, the... The 80s shtick of cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I understand cartoon-wise. Toy-wise, it seems to be a very... 
maybe it's not unique, but it's a very interesting play pattern that the toys really push about not needing batteries for all the gimmicks and the things that operate. It's all motorized. It's using of magnets. Quite clever stuff, really, when I looked into it. Mm-hmm. The play pattern is quite um, self-explanatory. You know, you don't need to get your mum to also buy a pack of batteries for the 10 different toys that yep. the line would require, like in other things. It just seemed like, you know, trying to get kids into space and yeah. spaceships, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, but well, it was kind of designed that way because, I mean, it was made by um, a, a toy company called Coleco mm-hmm. in conjunction with NASA's Young Ast- Astronauts Council. Which is so strange. Like, they're so... <laughs> so it was it was supposed to like encourage kids to get into space exploration to get into the space program mm. and so on um which obviously in the 80s was a big thing yeah yeah but yeah i mean i'll fill in the rest of the background then because like starcom was quite a short-lived uh toy line near future mm. sci-fi kind of toy line and um Coleco kind of started it and uh, then Coleco kind of got in trouble, which I can go over later. But eventually, essentially, Coleco folded. Okay. <laughs> Within the short time the toy line was around. <laughs> yes, pretty much. So Mattel took over the license for a while, but right. they basically stopped selling the toys in the US and they was they just sold them overseas for a long time. So the US line was quite almost as short-lived as the cartoon was, which is only a 13-episode thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think uh, the US only got, like, the first couple of waves of toys, and then we had, like, another two or three waves after that, overseas, in Europe, in the UK, in Canada, you know, and all sorts of places. So, yeah, it was it was short-lived. It kind of centred around uh, motorised vehicles and playsets and two-inch action figures. Um, well, slightly larger than two-inch, but, yeah, two-and-a-half-inch, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the main gimmicks being power deploy, which were nice. usually involved vehicles having automatic transformation features triggered by a clockwork motor or something or a, or a button that would make something spring out or move or expand. Mm-hmm. No batteries required for any of those. There are no batteries in the entire line, as far as I'm aware. I don't think there is. And Magnalock, which utilised magnets often, but not exclusively, on the soles of the figure's boots. Mm-hmm. And there's metal plates all over the, the figures and playsets that they can stick to. And in some cases, the, the, the magnets in the guy's boots will set off power deploy features. Yes, yes it seems like a, like a very gimmicky base toy line, which really works because as far as i understand it not all of this stuff a lot of this stuff was sold separately so even Mm -hmm. if you had bits and bobs from different ships or whatever they all kind of were interactive with one another you didn't necessarily need to have the big yeah big spaceships to make the little spaceships work or whatever you could have had any bit any sort of uh configuration of toys it all works together it all works in tandem um it's a lot like uh, Diaclone in that way. Yeah, something I always hear. And Microman, you know, it, very similar to those kind of lines where they're all very, everything kind of works together and is interchangeable and kind of like fits, you know, can work with another toy, if you know what I mean. Mm. It's all kind of joined together. 
But yeah, you're right. It was accompanied by a TV show, short-lived, a 13-episode TV show. And it was developed with the Young Astronauts uh, Council. It's so weird. It's so, like, you would have thought that the, the cartoon would have been more kidsy. But it felt like if I wasn't at home this week being ill, I don't know if I could have made it all the way through the cartoon because it was so not... It didn't draw me in as like other cartoons from that era. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. It hasn't got that instant uh, kind of uh, excitement that other, I'm going to say, dumber toy lines <laughs> and TV shows had. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think this thing is animated really well. Like it, the budget mm. was clearly there for the animation. It's just the stories were very, were very like, you know, science-based and very like well it's not really about none of it is really about the war it's more about just you know they're going to do something and explore somewhere and by hijinks the bad guys are there you know yeah (laughs) well let's get on to the show itself in a minute but let's just talk about its production um do you know who was the series creator uh uh, i don't remember the name but yes Bryn Stevens, who um, is known for her work on Gargoyles, Spider-Man, the animated series, Batman, the animated series, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, uh, and Transformers. Um, she wrote three episodes of Beast Machines, I believe. I hear that. Isn't like all, there was quite a, uh, the people behind it or the production. There was a lot of names that kind of like were attached to a lot of those type of cartoons around the time. And they had, mm. they were a lot of people from this went on to do like really cool projects that are really well known. So it's, yeah, it's very odd. <laughs> I mean, um, every, there's, there's only 13 episodes, but of those 13 episodes, one's written by Dave Wise, mm-hmm. who wrote episodes of Masters of the Universe, episodes of Defenders of the Earth, episodes of Batman the Animated Series, and 193 episodes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow. <laughs> and 15 episodes of Season 2 of Transformers. Oh. Including episodes like War Dawn, which are highly, mm. you know, highly thought of, because it's like, you know, Optimus Prime's or- origin story, as it were. The Orion Pax stuff, you know? Mm. Like, so, him, and then, only bloody Marv Wolfman... All right, you're looking at me like you don't know who Marv Wolfman is. It's not a name I, I recognise. I know the I recognise oh, the other two. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Go on, explain it to me. Maybe I do know. Maybe I still don't know by name. Um, he's like a massively um, well-known um, and important comic book writer. Oh, that's probably why I don't know. Him. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you have plastic figures of, of characters he created. Well, I'm I'm very thankful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just don't know who the hell he is. <laughs> he worked for Marvel and DC. Okay. Probably most famous for uh, co-creating characters like uh, I've got a list here: Blade, Ooh. Cyborg, Raven, Starfire, Deathstroke, Tim Drake, Nova, Black Cat, Bullseye. You've heard of these people, haven't you? Yeah, one or two, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> he made the new Teen Titans. He was kind of like in, in charge. I think he wrote 
well, I know, I know he wrote um, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is like yeah. a big comic book event. He wrote yeah. the whole thing, and he's still writing. Uh, is he still writing today? I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. He could be dead. I hope not. <laughs> well, okay. Thankfully, at the time of recording, Marv Wolfman is alive and still working. Over his long career, he has worked for Marvel, DC, Disney, and, incredibly remiss of me not to mention on this podcast, Transformers. Yes, he was a story editor on season three of the Transformers and co-wrote two episodes of that season, and both helped develop the original story outline for Transformers Beast Machines and wrote four episodes of Beast Machines. He's a Roddy legend. Yeah, he's he's a big deal, a mm-hmm. big deal. Like that's, um, what, that's what that's what I mean. Like I I did look at this and I saw that there were some of these names that were attached to a whole bunch of other things. It was just like it's just weird the the people who were behind this. Yeah, and how I just wasn't as drawn into the products. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's. Uh, I mean, it's produced by Deke Animation, of course, uh, who produced plenty of other well-known, big, important. Uh, very successful cartoon series. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, shall we talk about the show then? Mm-hmm. What are your, so you're, you were kind of saying, you were already saying before your general thoughts about the show was it didn't really draw you in. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it was just because there wasn't, um, like the first episode in particular, it, it, it's thrown straight in like you should already know who these people are. Mm. Uh, there's not really like a pilot episode where you get an explanation of, when and where this is happening, why this is happening, is Earth still a thing? You know, I don't, I don't really understand the world mm-hmm. of this place. Yeah. Um, and it kind of just expects you to know it. It does, and it doesn't even introduce the characters. I mean, you know how shows like Transformers or G.I. Joe or, um, I don't know, Thundercats or whatever, almost to an annoying degree, constantly name check each other constantly say oh Lionel, it's you you know mm-hmm. oh yeah. optimus prime you know like this sh- it, they never hardly it hardly say each other's names at all like i don't know who half of these people are i've watched all 13 episodes mm-hmm. and i'm like i think that guy is uh called crowbar poor crowbar <laughs> corbin that's <Yep>. him <laughs> yeah. that's that one's john slim griffin but like I, I, you know, like you don't really. The main characters are three colonels in mm-hmm. Starcom, and then you've got the baddies, which is Emperor Dark, and his minions who don't seem very loyal to him. I mean, I was. I think that's one of the like the worst things about this show. Like, I can kind of almost forgive the whole good guys, you know, because there's only three of them, and they they do appear in every episode. You kind of get to understand them as they go. But the bad guy, Emperor Dark, he doesn't do anything. No. (laughs) Well, I suppose he was, I suppose there was meant to be more of it. Like, there's only 13 episodes. I suppose eventually he was meant to achieve something. Yeah, but I mean, like, not even a sense of, like, um, he doesn't really punish the bad guys when they fail or anything. He's like, what do you think your punishment should be? Like, how should I? Oh, okay, maybe I'll do it off screen later. Or, you know, he doesn't really even scold his lackeys or anything like he doesn't do anything no i mean there's lots of stuff there's lots of um there's lots of ideas in there 
that are introduced then discarded. Yeah. Like, it seems at some point that Emperor Dark is working on some kind of big project. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that he's planning to... um, I mean, it is kind of... I think it's in the intro or at some point. It does say that he's... He wants to destroy Starcom and become like Earth's all powerful ruler. And it looks like he's there's an episode where they find um a hidden city under the surface of Mars. All of this happens in our solar system. It's very mm. grounded in our solar system. And they find this city this hidden city, and it's meant to have been built by the creators or something. Uh, I think that's what they're called. Right. And Dark seems to have some of their technology, and I think he's doing something with it. Right. Okay. But it never really seems... I mean, whether they were going to go back to that later, I don't know. But yeah, all the episodes are very one and done. They Mm. they don't really have a through line, you know, and ideas are kind of thrown in there and then discarded for the next one, and we've forgotten about that. I mean, I suppose, like a lot of things at the time, it was episodic. It wasn't um, wasn't meant to hold together. You weren't meant to watch them in order, you know. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, just like in a say, like the I forget her name now, but the, the there's a bad guy, the female bad guy with the flat top, um, Malvana Malvana Wild. <laughs> Malvana, of course, that's her name. <laughs> or Ma, Mal, yeah, Malvana 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 Wild, I think Malvana. See, like, I think she was probably one of the most interesting um on the bad guy side what not major romac no no <laughs> i mean i mean i just because it's not very often that you get from what i remember maybe there maybe there's a lot more because i haven't seen obviously every 80s cartoon but there's not many female bad guys who are also quite high up in the bad guy region i mean you've got like baroness and can't even think of any other. There's not a lot who are that type of spot. Uh, there's uh, uh, Zarara or whatever her name is in. Um, oh, in, oh yeah. Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, Evil Lynn. There's. Uh, I'm just disproving you. No, no. no. There's. <laughs> there's I mean, usually one. There's usually, there's usually one. There's, there's usually one. But and I there's mean, one here. with there's such a short, a small <laughs> series, there seems to be a lot of. Even on the good guys, so there's a lot of women in this show, which is a good thing. It's like mm-hmm. it's really, it's not because so, normally when I think of eighties cartoons, I think of just men with big muscles mm-hmm. with either a big sword or a big gun. <laughs> but there is like a lot of diversity in the show. Well, this is the thing. This show is more grounded and more, and in a way, a bit more intelligent than those shows. Yes, like, like it, it tries to use kind of proper kind of space tech it tries to be realistic i i did find which it... i think is a bit of a turn off for kids who just want to watch things blowing up and uh and crazy characters because i i think that i got that from the first episode when they were like coming to save that that um space station that had been um what would you call it? Lassoed by a big floating jellyfish whale. Uh, it was a, a Nantucket sleigh ride. That's what it was. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a it was a research station. But yeah, the first episode, they're on, is it Jupiter, I think? Something like that. And they're researching space whales, which look like jellyfish. And um, yeah, they, they get attacked by a little drone and then they lasso 
one of these space whales to get away, but then mm. they're running out of air. I was, I was going to say, like, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, are oh, running out of air, we're running out of fuel. Mm. Oh, we only have a short amount of time to get to A to B, or we can't save this person. I'm like, it's, it's like, it, that was the bit that was like, oh, they're really trying to push the realism because that's not something they ever really come up with. Like, in the, like, maybe not Transformers, but like, sort of like Masters of the Universe or something, they go to another another place they're not worrying about the oxygen level they're just no no helmets you know yep. it's very much that like oh several times they're stranded somewhere and they need fuel and someone's got to bring them fuel from somewhere else which is tying into the toy line yeah although i don't think the tv show does a great job of tying into the toy line uh... <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't i mean it barely features the toys like it does but they're not as heavily in it as much as you'd want to. And they rarely focus on the abilities or gimmicks of the toys. Like, they, they'll say, oh, we need to power deploy or mag, or they'll use Magnalock. Mm-hmm. But they won't really make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't think you see a pair of Magnalock boots being used until episode seven. Very <laughs> possibly, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's on all the toys. And <laughs> I think we see... We see most of like the first wave of toys, so you do get them. But I mean, you see, you see some of them so so fleetingly mm. that you wouldn't, you you'd probably miss them. Like you wouldn't, you'd be like, oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, what is that in the show? Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, it was in episode six for about <laughs> fifteen seconds. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like it's so maybe too based in the. In stuck in the reality bit that it doesn't really flourish like the others because there's none of that you know toyification or mm-hmm. splashing of fantasy in there when those things happen. There's not even like a a really big music cue for these things. You know, there's not a. Well, no, I mean the the music is a bit rubbish in general. I mean, it's the intro's not great. It doesn't catch your attention. It's got great animation, but it's not mm-hmm. got great music. Yes. I like the intro animation wise, but yeah, the um, music is just kind of very kind of generically militaristic. And uh, yeah, and then some of the music I'm, sounds like it's been borrowed off of Ghostbusters. I was going to say this. Yeah, it feels very Ghostbusters yeah. in a lot of the episodes. I don't know what it is about the, even the char- the characters as well. They kind of feel... Well, it's not surprising. It's written by the same guys who wrote Ghostbusters. Well, it, but but this is what I'm trying to f- trying to figure out from the whole thing because mm. all the elements are there. Like, it's not a huge cast. Mm-hmm. It's quite small character, small cast of characters. They are kind of like that kind of Ghostbusters, you know, early team three people. They're going back and forth. They have their nice jokes about their day to day, playing cards, making up rules as they go, um, all the things that they do. It doesn't. It just doesn't. They don't really have characters. Like they're quite. They're very, very two D. In that, so the main characters are. Right, right here we go. Tell me something about Colonel uh, Dash Derringer. Colonel James Dash Derringer. What 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 characterizes him? He has a lot of off the wall ideas. They all do. No, but his he's he's the one who's always like, I've got a plan. They all say it in every episode. (laughs) Um, 
he has a mum and a sister who works at a space station. Uh, who you only see in the first episode. <laughs> he has um, a cat. He has a cat. Do we actually see the cat in the show? I can't remember. Yes, yeah. I did once or twice, <laughs> but not very often. So then, and, and how about um, John Slim Griffin? He has children that he leaves on Mars with. I think his, I think they're his nieces and nephews, aren't they? I think. Oh, okay. There is a niece and a nephew. Who the mm. just like yeah. Well, they probably live with their parents. <laughs> they're not just left there on their own. <laughs> I think I think that's acceptable. But but yeah, I mean his 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 main characteristic is he's by the book. He's very yeah. That was the thing. He's he's very. Um, I think they really try and push it in one episode. Like he's very much like you got to do it by the rules mm. until. You know, you're at Death Store, and it's like, oh, I guess we can bend the rules a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's his main characteristic. And then you've got um, Colonel Paul Crowbar Corbin. I mean, I, I liked him. He's probably like the um, more laid back of the team. He was the he's the science guy. He's the guy who they were getting to fix things or to. Yes, yeah, odd, isn't it? Because like he's. Well, it's not. Yeah, I suppose he's the science guy. He's the engineer. The engineer. Yeah, that's probably better. But he's also the biggest jerk. Yeah. I mean, I guess I did like the episode where there's that. Um, they need to transport a child who's really smart, and also a thing that's really important. Mm-hmm. And they sit down, and they have a little chat about being the smart one. I kind of like that. <laughs> Best episode, in my opinion. Really? Best episode, uh, and written by Dennis Wise. Okay. Uh, it's called Flash Malkovich Space Cadet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it has like a, opens with a kid kind of reading Starcom comics. Yeah. yeah. And um, playing with Starcom toys. So <laughs> like, finally, you're selling the toys. <laughs> and he's like, um, he's kind of a genius, but he's mm-hmm. kind of picked on by his fellow cadets. He ends up kind of, they're, they're sent there, they're meant to take him to some research station or something because he's special, gifted. They're like, we want we want him to uh, go and receive an award. But we're also using this as a cover to transport a new device from a research station back to, because they've got, they've got the ring station or whatever it's called. The, mm. That's their main base, the Starcom's main base. It's like orbiting Saturn. And another great thing I like about the show is it takes some time to get places and they have to use that hyperdrive thing in order to get go really far. Yeah. And really far is just between Earth and Saturn. You know, it's not like galaxies or anything. It's quite a long distance. And, they, you know, if they, just, if they just traveled there the normal way, it would take them weeks, months. Mm-hmm. But because they use this hyperdrive, they can get there quicker. But it's still not a long way away in the terms of like most other space shows. Yeah. It's true. I think they even talk about it sometimes. Like, would you prefer to, like, take months to get to A or B? Yeah, because Crowbar doesn't is. like it. Crowbar doesn't like travelling hyperspace, yeah. <laughs> hyperspace, whatever it's called. But yeah, you're right, though. In that episode, Crowbar acts like a real human for a change and um, mm. gives Flash some encouragement to be his authentic self, mm-hmm. which is quite nice. Yeah, I, I liked it. Because it was, it, it, I mean, I kind of... I kind of get in the episode that they were, I think they were going one place and then they got orders to go somewhere else. And then when they got there, they were given orders to go back to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So like the team was kind of already annoyed at all of the orders they were getting to them. were like, oh, can you then escort this kid somewhere? And then the kid was kind of getting on their nerves. So they're all kind of like 
having a go at the kid throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of it, he's uh, he does kind of save the day. I think Dash doesn't like being a babysitter. Yeah. But that, that's the thing. Like, that, that's why I like that episode so much, because it actually felt like, like the people had characters and they had motivations. And it, it felt unlo- like some of the episodes. I wrote a little kind of um, synopsis of each one as I went along. And some of them just end with me writing, I'm bored, I've had enough. <laughs> yes. And that's it, you know? <laughs> There's a few there that I just like, this, what, what, why, what, what is even, why is even the point of this episode? Because they often do just kind of like switch focus, you know? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay. Um, they, they say, oh, you need to do this thing, take this thing to there. And then it turns out they didn't, or... Um, Oh, there's one where they go um, to a mining ship. Uh, which one's that? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Episode nine, a few bugs in the system. Yeah. So they, there's a series of malfunctions happening on a mining ship, uh, which Starcom believes to be, because the, the, the head general guy, he's got a name, I can't remember his name, but this, the, you know, the main guy from Starcom, Mm. summons the the three amigos to his office and he says well i need you to go and investigate these malfunctions on this mining ship which seem to be like sabotage and i need you to do it incognito mm-hmm. you need to go there uh, um undercover to what to find out who's doing it okay fine so crowbar says he knows an astro marine because there's we'll get onto that in a minute remind me mm-hmm. he knows an astro marine who used to be a miner Mm-hmm. So we meet Sergeant Champa Ryan. Okay. <laughs> I got. I have the actual figure of Sergeant Champa Ryan right here. <laughs> so we meet Sergeant Champa Ryan, who apparently used to be a miner, and uh, he's like saying to them, "Oh, they'll see through it immediately. Miners are all a family. They all know each other. They'll. We won't be able to get away with it for five minutes when we get mm. over there in disguise, and they don't." <laughs> they're, immediate, they're immediately um, recognised as Starcom people. It's like, well, so maybe you didn't need to do that. Like, <laughs> you didn't need to kind of come up with that pretense. I suppose they're trying to force home the idea that they're all a big family or whatever. Mm. But like, it could have been done without all that mucking about. And they kind of really, they try to drill it in that people, it's not easy for people to get in and off the ship. And when they get there, there's like residue of uh, the bad guy ships have been there or something. Yeah, yeah. So you know something's up. Mm-hmm. But it takes a really long time for them to realise it's one of the drones that are causing the issue. Mm-hmm. I thought having this guy who was an old miner there, he'd be like, oh, well, that one must be a new model because I've never seen one like that before. Yeah. All of them are suspiciously, you know, this bluey white. But this one's black. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it seems to be going to the places where all these bad things are happening. And like, yep. never, they he didn't bring it up. They actually had to, yeah, what notice some screws out of place or something, and then they yep. go looking for it. Like, yeah, but, I mean, I guess we should we should talk about the baddies because, like we said, we talked about Emperor Dark, who just seems to be getting on with shit, and lets his subordinates, who aren't really necessarily evil, they're just kind of um, a bit mercenary i guess mm. 
it lets them kind of get on with stuff and you'll send them off on missions, but they do seem to just be milling about coming up with their own plans, doing their own things while he's busy on his ship with a face on the front doing whatever he does in there. So you've got Mavana or Mavana and she's quite cool. Um, I quite, I quite enjoyed her as a character Mm. and she, she seemed to be very much kind of like she was, she had a, an agenda Mm-hmm. But it never really got too far into yeah, it. Yeah, I thought there'd be, I thought there'd be more with her in Crowbar after she kind of like. Yeah, she know, starts fancying him. She fancies yeah. him when they're in that episode they like uh, track his body or. They, they gets... put they put like a bug in his spine or something, and they can see through his eyes. And she was really impressed in how he kept like mm. outmaneuvering them. And was like, oh yeah, maybe maybe this yeah, guy's you know. But then nothing happens. Really. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. The things keep getting discarded. Like, there's, there's a number of times where they try to set up some kind of relationship between Dash and other female characters. And oh, yeah. then and then that'll kind of fizzle out. Next episode, we won't even mention that person anymore. Yeah. I was going to talk about the fact that you have Astro Marines, um, Wing, Star Wing and Starbase Command. They're the three parts of Starcom. Oh, uh, right. That's what yeah. the different badges are for, right? Or the different... Yeah, and each one of the three characters is a colonel in that area. Oh. Wow. Did you not notice that? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Dash is Starwing. So he flies right. these around. Okay. The You know, the spaceships. And then um, Crowbar, he is from the Astro Marines and... They drive these things around. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then Slim, uh, John, you know, John Slim Griffin, he's yeah. from Starbase Command and he's he sits around in the command stations doing commandy things. Okay. Which makes it weird that they go off and they always go off and do exactly the same as each other. Always. I was about to say, that's, that's, that's all well and good, but they all do those things. Yeah. They all fly <laughs> Star Wars. They all seem to be roughly as talented as each other at doing so. Yeah. Um, I suppose you do see um, Crowbar being more of an engineer, which you relate more with a kind of vehicle core, the Astro mm. Marines. And I suppose Slim, he is more commandy because he's more by the book. By the book. But that's it. You know, like, mm. I don't think Derringer is ever really portrayed as being amaz- an amazing pilot. Mm, not really. No. Um, I mean, I guess by numbers that they're really good because, like, the bad guys have, like, so many of these drones. Yeah, what are they them All the time, but, like, there's only three of them. And only, like, I think two, maybe two times they get back up from the rest of Starcom that turn up sometimes. Oh, we, yeah, I think there's maybe two or three episodes where you meet some of the other people. Yeah. Some of the other Starcom operatives. They're like, oh, we've run out of ammunition or fuel and we're kind of stuck here. What will we do? And then mm. the big boys turn up and, like, magna lock them. Yeah, they have to save a guy who's got uh, Slim's two, um, nephews, <laughs> yeah. nieces. He's talking about on the day trip in the... In, the, um, in a laser rat. In the laser rat, in you know, going around Mars, and then there's like, oh yeah, you could drive for a bit, and they didn't see this massive sandstorm in front of them. <laughs> yeah. and they get so close, he's like, oh, maybe we should turn around. Maybe we drive. shouldn't be driving straight at this. <laughs> yeah. So how did you miss it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But they, that guy, I mean, he's a lot of these guys are toys. They are in the line. Oh, I, I mean, 
it was guy with moustache number one. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but the toys have moustaches, though. Oh, do they? Oh, okay. So it's important, you know. <laughs> but yeah, like you say, you were alluding to the fact that, you know, the baddies have... So they've got, they've got general guys uh, and gals with mm. um, with space helmets on. But then they also have, like, legions of robots. And what's the, the main robot guy called? The uh, main robot guy is called uh, General Torvik. General Torvik. Okay. General Torvik is my favourite character on the bad guy side. I, w- I was going to say, I think he's like got a really cool design. I think Is there a toy of him? Yeah. Loads. They all look exactly the same. Okay. Um, they're, they're, all, they're, they're all the robots. They're all the robots. He, he, I, they all have different... I mean, obviously, General Torvik has a different colour deco to a different one. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. so. I liked it. I liked his... You know, the episodes where he reappeared and he had these ideas of, like, you know, a logical way of taking out Sarcom. I mean, he, and he, he almost achieves it a couple of times. Like he... Yeah. I loved how deadpan he was and how, how kind of de- depressed he sounded. <laughs> that, that There was a great one where they basically hacked... He basically hacks into Starcom mm-hmm. using... Oh, here we go. So yeah, ep- Mar- the Marv Wolfman episode, which is my second favorite. You see, but yeah, basically the there's a there's a Starmax bomber being piloted by Lieutenant Bob T. Rogers. See, another person, another a different guy, <laughs> and he gets attacked by Shadow Force, and he crashes, and um, he takes the the Star Wolf that was magna locked onto his Starmax bomber and flies away before it crashes. Mm. But Shadow Force just aren't interested in him. And, he, and they're actually interested in the um, in the, the Starmax. And basically, they uh, General Torvik wants to salvage the computer system chip, which would allow him to control all Starcom vehicles. And I like the, 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 the fact that he gets this chip, he get, and he's like, he, he deciphers it in no time, and he goes... The code was ridiculously simple. Those fools have handed me control of their entire arsenal. Starcom is finished. <laughs> He's brilliant. And um, it turns out that the, 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 the Starcom ships are run on really shoddy software that's really easy to hack. <laughs> I mean... That's a hint of realism, I suppose. I guess you mm-hmm. could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Torvik um, is cool. I like him a lot. It does. It does make you wonder why the Shadow Force haven't really won because <laughs> they do have the numbers and they do have a lot. He has an, an endless supply of these um, drones who have varying degrees of smart AI ness to them. So I think the problem is. None of General Dark's subordinates are very loyal. Mm. And his armies of robots have uh, stormtrooper syndrome in that <laughs> in, in the, they are terrible shots, mm. awful pilots. And, you know, three guys from Starcom make light work of them constantly. And they that... never hurt any human people from the from the from the baddies. They only hurt the robots. It's like they they always make a point of it as well. It's like yeah. oh, they were just drones that we blew up. Yeah, yeah. they make a check of like oh, it's, there's no life forms in this. Right, yeah, they're full blast. Yeah, we can blow this up then. Yeah, I do. I did like the episode where they were crowbar slim, and then two 
um, bad guys were trapped on a moon or somewhere. Yeah. And they had to work together to get off of it. I did like that episode because it really drove the point that these, yes, these bad guys, you know, are bad, but they're also other human beings. They're just like, on the payroll. They, yeah, exactly. They were like, oh, we're, we're, we're going to double cross them or when are we going to do this? And the guy's like, no, like if we do that, we're, we're all going to die. Like we have to work together. Like what are you trying to do? <laughs> we are in space. <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> things can go pretty awful if we don't work together. <laughs> Yeah, they've got no fuel. They can't get anywhere. They're all going to run out of air or they're going to die. It's going to get, you know, it's going to get too hot or, or too cold. Uh-huh. So they have to work together. So, yeah, I, I like that about it. So, I mean, I don't I know I've heard a lot of people kind of slag the TV series off and it is a bit dull. But I do quite like bits of it. I do quite like the idea of it. And it's not it's not just mindless, you know, like a lot of shows of the time are. Do you know what I think it's missing? Mm. Um, is a third faction. A third faction? Which I thought we were going to get in the cartoon because there was that episode where there was a village of pacifists who grew oranges. Yeah, that was a weird one. <laughs> um, but it wasn't the bad guys who were in that episode. It was like these other mercenary type people yeah. who had just stolen their ships. And I thought that there might be another part of the toy line that I didn't even know about. Like There's just like another group. Sadly not. No, no um, that was that. I thought that I thought that it could it could do with another angle because it's not because like I was saying like this 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 guy at the top of the bad guys is not doing anything. Like I mean, mm. you need a bit of maybe a bit more alien or science fiction going on just to. Yeah, but it's kind of it's sci-fi in in a more traditional sense. It's not um, fantasy. It's not science fantasy. You know, it's like what would it really be like if we went to space and how would we explore the um our solar system and what if there was a, a another faction who wanted to stop us mm. in, in in our tracks because yeah there are no, no aliens i think aliens would ruin it to be honest you think so yeah it'd certainly ruin the toy line in my opinion but the tv yeah, it might it might yeah i mean maybe it would I don't know. I mean, it like I kind of when I think of it, I think more of like early doors of like Star Trek of just them being part of Star Command, or in in a sense of like they've reached out to other planets. Oh, yeah. You know, we've befriended other aliens, and they're willing to share their technology, or you know, whatever. Like, it's not you'd have to go too crazy with it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree, and I think it would have worked within the context of the show. Um, I'm just not sure it would work with the toy line, but. You mentioned Star Trek. I think it's more Star Trek than Star Wars. And I think that was the problem for a lot of kids. Because kids want things shooting lasers and uh, they want adventure. They want uh, swashbuckling. Don't think about this too hard. I know it makes no sense stuff, you know, especially in the 80s. When at the time you had things like He-Man and Transformers and so on to compare and and. This this came out the same year as tur- as turtles did, you know. Wow. <laughs> so you know, turtles like that the very definite definition of a dumb children's TV show. <laughs> and yeah, it, it was brightly coloured, action packed. It had it had Ninja Turtles in it, you know. And then you've got these guys in spacesuits walking around uh, conserving air. It's not <laughs> as exciting, really, isn't. And it's one of the, but I think it's one of those things that I think even if it had like a really 
cool intro, mm. it might have hooked people a bit more. Like, it's just, like, it's just... Yeah. I don't know. I guess, like, because obviously the real reason it stopped is because of the, the lack of sales of toys, isn't it? Like, it didn't... It wasn't just a cartoon's fault. Like, the... Yeah, but the, the cartoon was there to sell the toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, so... like, the, but the toys were good. Like, I mean, like, it's yeah. not to say that the... When we're thinking about this, I'm thinking about the show wasn't a very good selling point, but the toys themselves, like once I learned more about the toys, I kind of got why people like the toys. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think it's another, is it just that, or is it also the toys maybe weren't as fantastical because uh, I mean, the good guys taught, I, I don't really like the Starcom white, orange, slightly gray, color schemes of the toys like i like all the bad guys color schemes like all the i mean i i I did when i when i was a kid and i still do but i think what i like about starcom i mean let's get into it shall we basically let's get into the toys i guess Mm -hmm. you've got the two factions you've got starcom and shadow force and starcom is grounded in reality they look like what nasa space shuttles might become in the future oh yeah um, and they look like what NASA vehicles or like, you know, like the moon, the moon buggy, the moon rover might become in the future. Like they look like functional human vehicles built by humans to be used in space. Mm-hmm. I love that about them. I know they may not seem as sexy and cool as the uh, as these Shadow Force stuff, which is a bit more kind of like fantastical sci fi. Yes. But. They look like the kind of ships that we would actually have if we were doing this. You know, if the human race went into space and were doing this, they'd probably have something that looked a bit like this. But see, to me, that's not that's not uh, as it doesn't hook me in the same way that, like, say, uh, Target Master era of Transformers, where they're weird, like misfire, yeah. slug slinger colors. You know that that era of spaceships that are just a bit more like you're saying, fantastical, like that would hook me as a young child more. I think there's a place for that, which is what you've got. But like, I've always said that my some of my favourite stuff for the Transformers line is the, well, my favourite thing about the Transformers line when it came out was it was realistic vehicles that turned into robots. And when they were realistic vehicles, they looked like realistic vehicles. They were yeah. robots in disguise. <laughs> they were not robots that turn into batshit crazy shit. <laughs> you know, like they, they didn't. Oh, this robot turns into a giant vampire bat. Okay. okay. Right, well, um, it's not in disguise then, is it? <laughs> All right. But maybe even the sense of like, okay, so you've got the. Not that I don't like that stuff. I'm just saying. But you no, know no, no, I mean? no, no. But I mean, like, even in terms of maybe even in the context of the show. So like they've got the star. Com jets, fighters, Star Wolf, all those things. But then maybe even just having character-specific designs, like those three general guys, they have like a special coloured ones that were different. Yeah, you're moving, into, you're moving into mask area here, aren't you, really? Like, well, this is something I also hear that's really like people kind of keep in the same vein. Because are they all kind of a similar size, the guys? The, yeah, the, the mask figures are a similar kind of height, and you know they are still they're transforming vehicles, so it's yeah. similar. So yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you, they could have done that. They could have gone with more. Um, I think that that is something that's missing from both the toy line and the the show is characters. 
Yeah. You know, there aren't any characters. I mean, yes, they sold guys on card backs, like individual figures, mm. but they were all essentially the same design. You've got like maybe three or four designs, like, and then they were just different color schemes. Mm. So you had like the Astro Marine, the, um, the star wing guy and the command guy, they all look slightly different, but they're all guys in space helmets. Mm-hmm. And that's the Starcom guys. And then on the, um, on the other side, Shadow Force, you have the, the ones that, I can't remember what the names of the two factions are, but basically you've got like um, uh, Shadow Force uh, pilot guys and the Shadow Force guys who drove vehicles. Mm-hmm. And then you had the robots. The Shadow Force was split between the Invasion Force, the ground troops, Star Marder, the Fly Guys, and the Robot Drone Force. Self-explanatory. Something we never mentioned is that the Shadow Force logo was a very simple black triangle within a larger inverted red triangle, or orange. A sort of upside-down Triforce. Not very creative, but A. Branding really wasn't Starcom's strong point, and B. Lego were doing the exact same thing at the same time with the Blacktron, so good enough for the most successful toy line ever, good enough for Starcom. So it's kind mm. of six different designs, and then they're just different variations on that design. And they, they've all got names, but there's nothing particularly there's nothing particular to identify them. Like here's two two guys. Now, how different are they really? Not massively. One's got a, a unique space belt and the other one doesn't. Yeah, exactly. They're both guys <laughs> with, with space helmets on. Um, and they've got kind of you know, space suits. This, this one's a flying guy and this one's a driving guy, as it were. And that's it. So, yeah, I know what you mean. I think that that, does, that is what's lacking. I mean, because I, I feel like it's... Because um, I feel like now that I know where this falls in the timeline of toy history, as it were. It does feel like the ripples of this kind of concept in other things as it goes along, or at least just like the name, the naming conventions of it. Because obviously now I hear, when I first heard about Starcom and I hear it in the show and stuff, my brain automatically goes to Star Command, which is, would you like to guess what that is? Um, Is it a computer game? I mean, it could also be a computer game. <laughs> um, what's what's the other toy? What's the toy line that we were talking about um, the other day that has gone off the rails of how expensive it is? Like the, or t- not toy line figures from a toy line that were crazy expensive that we saw. Uh... Like I showed you a picture of them, and you're like, "Why is it that expensive? Why is it?" Um... Everything's expensive now. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about? Toy Story. Oh, Toy Story. Oh, so yeah, what Star Command is what? Where's where Buzz is from? Yeah, but I mean, it's a very generic term. All the terms in in Starcom are really generic, though, aren't they? Oh, yeah, but I I mean, just like the the idea of Star Command in Buzz's world, of it being this space station in our solar system where they're protecting them from evil Emperor Zerg and Mm. his, um, you know, endless drones of robots and things. Like, it feels very, like, 
whoever yeah. was involved in making that definitely likes Starcom. I maybe, although to be honest, it's a, it's a very simple concept, isn't it? Really, like you have uh, the good guys who are like a kind of peacekeeping force, um, kind of space exploration force, and then the bad guys who have the most generic name ever, Shadow Force, led by the most generically named uh, leader, Emperor Dark, who are just nasty fuckers for some reason. Yep. And they have an army of robots. It's hardly the most um, original and fantastic idea, you know what I mean? So No, 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 no. But it's just like, it's, it's interesting how that kind of, when it's that type of sci-fi that's, mm bit more grounded in realism yeah that type of uh, uh way of thinking kind of relates to this and you can kind of see the parallels yeah i can see that but i suppose that that is where most people would think it would go if you were to try and keep it realistic i mean you look at anything that is um any kind of realistic hard sci-fi mm. in space like alien for example and you have some some big kind of um company or 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 star trek like you have some big uh collective Mm -hmm. that go out into space and start um exploring it or exploiting it or whatever and then you have kind of workaday people who just do jobs and then you know people who hire up you have a hierarchy Mm -hmm. and then they you know encounter things as they go along so it, it you kind of expect it because it's because it's utilitarian because it's kind of trying to be based in kind of fact <laughs> i'll give you a bit of background on the toy line then so the toy line was developed before the tv series but was time to hit the stores around the same time as the first episode in the u.s yeah yes exactly yeah <laughs> apparently tomi developed a lot of the clockwork tech that he uses Oh. and yeah. that is quite similar to what they used in Zoids. Okay. And, yeah, the, we talked about it earlier, but the play pattern is that the smaller toys are designed to compact down into, into a standard size and shape that can easily be stored in the larger vehicles. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I have with me, um, here's the Harv 7, right. which is basically best described as a... Um, as one of those trucks that picks up skips. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. And it's got um, it's got a little uh, fuel pod on the back, and that fuel pod is what everything compacts down into. So this fuel pod mm-hmm. is the same size and shape as this laser rat when it's made small. Right. It's exactly the same, and and also this battle crane as well. Battle crane, fuel pod, the same yeah, size you, and shape. You sent me a video of some of the commercials and some of the toy adverts, and there's a guy explaining this play pattern, and he didn't, even he didn't seem very enthused about it. <laughs> he was explaining it. Well, he was just some actor, wasn't he? And he, was, he was just put on screen to go just go through the new stuff for the next year. I don't know. I don't know who that was for, to be honest. But yeah, he didn't. He didn't really sell it to me. I, <laughs> I mean, have you watched a Hasbro live stream? It felt like that. It really. It was really weird. It... No, but at least at least he's being honest. People in the Hasbro live stream are going, "This is amazing." And it's like you don't think that. <laughs> but I mean, like, okay, I mean, even, not even like you could just tell, like. 
he wasn't being paid enough. <laughs> Agreed. So yeah. Anyway, so that so they're all designed to be carried inside or fit inside um, other ships, and they've also got um, magnets so they can pick up other vehicles or or attach to other vehicles. So for example, here's my Star Max bomber, mm-hmm. and here's my Star Wolf, and the Star mm-hmm. Wolf can fit on top there onto the magnet it's got a magnet on the bottom and it magnets to magnets to meh. magnets to <laughs> what's the what's the word it ma- it it the magnet attaches to the metal plate on the top of the star max and now it's a you know it's attached mm-hmm. it won't fall off so yeah they do that and the same goes for the little uh, little battle crane can pick up that crate and carry it around so it has all that kind of stuff, and oh, it, also the it has a little foot that I can press, and it falls off. Anyway, so yeah, they're all kind of designed to do that. You've got the magnolock features with with the guys with their ma- their magnetic feet, so they can stand on things. And there's some really really cool stuff that we'll talk about in a bit in some of the other in some of the bigger playsets that work with that. Mm. And then there's the power deploy features. So essentially, you know, I said that things compact down into into a crate shape mm. the star wolf also compacts down into a crate shape and then uh yeah you press a little button and <laughs> there you go and same goes for this is the laser rat it looks like a crate flip that switch <laughs> and etc etc so there's all that kind of stuff to it and then yeah the magnets set things off so i mean that i think it's an incredibly clever toy line. Yeah, I mean, it's got its. Um, you could really build up a little scenario or scene where the bad guys are taking this, or mm-hmm. you're based up here, and it's a lot of that. You know, child's imagination can run wild with this type of stuff. Yeah, everything everything fits together. Like the the Star Max is like was like the the, the flagship toy in the first wave, and everything works with it like you can you know you can stick the star wolf on the top of it and then you've got the power deploy feature is the cargo bay which slowly opens this mine mine opens very slowly because it's quite old obviously (laughs) but then in there in that in that cargo bay that comes out the back i've got this little thing that you can put people in Mm. got little chairs in but it's basically like another crate but any of these vehicles can go in here, can drive up the ramps, go inside there, and then pop them back in there. Yeah. And then it's got that bit that pops open as well. And there's room for two guys to sit inside. Yeah, isn't there like a thing like all the cockpits, kind of like a spring? Yep, this is spring-loaded. Yeah. The cockpits are all spring-loaded. Same goes for the Star Wolf. Yeah, it's it, and they have stickers as well. Um, so you, the stickers are a bit of a pain, obviously, because they just get old and decrepit in time. But yeah, they, everything kind of works together. Everything can fit inside each other or be picked up by the other thing. And same goes for the bad guy stuff. Like even though that's a little bit more um, kind of futury looking, a little bit more kind of sleek and kind of sexy. It looks. I, I'm sorry. I think it all the, all the bad guy stuff that I've seen look amazing and i think maybe that is 
to its detriment because because from what I've seen now, and I don't know what your experience is with going back and looking at older toys, I would imagine the the line must be riddled with like yellowing of all the white plastic. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> um, it is. I mean, you can pro- you probably can't see it on my Star Max, but this isn't a bad example. But if you look at the difference between here oh, and yeah. here. Yeah, there is yellowing of certain parts, and and I've seen some really yellow Star Max bombers, like really, <laughs> like horrible kind of like mustard yellow, you know, really bad. And is there is there like um, uh, because there is ways you can undo yellowing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess it's all the stickers and stuff that kind of like would be. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to. You probably have to remove stickers, or well, I suppose you could get away with it, but I don't know. I mean. I'm not going to get into that, but yes, I know that there are ways of doing it, like peroxide and so on. And yeah, but I mean, some my Star Wars are really nice. You know, there's some yellowing, but very little. Mm. But yeah, I know what you mean. The the baddie stuff doesn't suffer from yellowing because it's not white. Yeah, I think that might. I mean, obviously, none of these toy lines will think of the longevity of, of course not any of this stuff. But uh, as being someone looking back at it, mm. I think that would be like that would what would sway me even more to the bad guy stuff. Well, the thing is, right, so I, I didn't mention, I, well, I didn't get around to mentioning earlier that when I was a kid, I had these toys. Mm. I had lots of Shadow Force, um, which is why I've, going back into it vintage, I've got the Starcom stuff first. I'm going to get some Shadow Force stuff, definitely. Mm. But um, I think my brother had a Star Max bomber, or someone did, and I played with it a lot. And I'm pretty sure he had the command center, the big command center as well. Wow. yeah, yeah. But I had um, a Shadow Bat, which is like the main baddies um, spaceship. Mm-hmm. I had a Shadow Invader, which is like their little, um, their equivalent of the Laser Rat. It's like a little kind of buggy. Yeah, yeah. And I had two Shadow Parasites, which so you could lock it into the which both locked into the wings <laughs> of the of the Shadow Bat. So I had those when I was a kid. So in a way, going back to it, I wanted to get the Starcom stuff, and I love it. I mean, it's brilliant. Okay, well, that makes sense to me then. If you've already yeah. experienced the one, you want to try yeah. a bit more of the other. I mean, I definitely, I definitely played with Starcom toys. This is the thing. What's this? Is what I mean when I said it's weird that no one remembers it because I remember people having it. I remember other kids having it. It wasn't just me. Like I remember going round to a guy's place and he had the uh, six shooter, which is quite a rare toy now because mm. it was one of the ones that came out right towards the end of the line. So it was only really released in Europe, I think. I remember someone having that. I remember people having um, the Shadow Bandit, the one that kind of picks up stuff. Like, mm. it wasn't just me, you know? <laughs> Other people had Starcom. I remember kind of begging my parents to take me to Wings and Wheels in Leon C because I knew that they sold Starcom there and they had the figures on the card backs, the actual, <laughs> like, you know, the, the individual figures because yeah. the line consi- consisted of, like, carded figures, playsets and vehicles. And the vehicles, for the first two waves at least, all came with a dedicated pilot. Mm. And they were unique. They were different to any of the carded figures. Mm. But if you wanted enough people to man your Star Max bomber, you needed to buy some more figures. Like You wanted guys to sit in the back and so on. And they all had job titles on their, um, on their cards. <laughs> and some of them would be like, Laser Rat Gunner. Right? <laughs> so you've got... You've got your laser rat with the driver. You need the laser rat gunner to go on the back and fire the gun. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like they had that. They, they they thought it through that far. Now, maybe they should have had more kind of proper characters, 
Mm. But they had thought through, well, who are these guys? Oh, well, this guy works with this guy on the half seven. And this guy is a, is a gunner or this guy is a, is a co-pilot for this particular ship. You know, they thought that through. And the same goes for like the bad, bad guy stuff as well. Because a lot of these things had more than one cockpit or another place for someone to sit. Mm. Like the um, the shadow bat had two cockpits. He had, he had like a one facing forward, one facing backwards. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, I mean, th- there were 26 Cardi figures, six play sets and 23 vehicles and one mail away figure, which was Emperor Dark. I don't know why anyone wanted that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he was different. At least he was a character. <laughs> Um, uh, why, why was there no, um, or maybe there was, maybe I, I don't want to make assumptions. Was there no figures of like the, um, the, the lady, the, I don't think there was actually, I don't think there was none of her or even the other guy, um, the bigger guy. Oh no, he was, he was a figure. Uh, they made a figure of him. Oh, okay. D- yeah. I don't think they made any of the lady figures to be honest. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, but I don't remember there being any lady figures, which is a bit of a shame, but it was the 80s. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like they had to like, there would have just been her and another body and another color scheme. Surely they wouldn't have like. <laughs> it's it's possible that, that she was in the line, but she just looked like a guy. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, I'm but, it... <laughs> but I don't know. I can't remember. I don't remember her being in it, but I know that a lot of the guys in the show, in the TV show, or all, Pretty much all of the guys on the TV show had a figure. Okay. Orion is correct. There were no female figures, but most of the main show cast did have figures, which were generally single-carded figures rather than packed with vehicles. Presumably, this was to encourage kids who watched the show to buy the extra figures. But they all look kind of the same, you know? (laughs) But what is interesting, though, about the figures is they've all got unique face sculpts like they're not generic and like some of the guys have got tashes some of the guys have got honestly the the paint the um the deco on the figures is pretty impressive because they're really small but they've got they're covered in tampos they've got like tiny like insignias on their uh on their chests and like they've got um stripes on their arms and so on mm-hmm. and, it's, and you know something on the crest of their helmet like they're really detailed for such small figures, and quite quite articulate. They've got knees. Wow, that's that's something to behold at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for for a two and a half inch figure, pretty impressive, really. And they all came with the the individually packed ones came with backpacks and guns with a little hose that attached the gun to the backpack. But when you when you used to play with this as a child, did you play with? The Starcom figures, or with the Starcom figures, with your Transformers and with your Zoids, or with your like your other stuff, did you kind of like set up a kind of mini universe of your own? Of I don't know if I did, but other people did definitely. I was I was a little bit more specific. Uh, okay. That's just, but that's just me, you know. <laughs> it sounds like yes. yeah. <laughs> I can't mix and match that way. Okay. Yeah. It seems interesting because it's such a. I mean, obviously there are loads of um, bigger scale characters with vehicles but like there was a lot of little guy vehicle type toy lines mm-hmm. of a similar size so i was wondering if there was a that yeah i think obviously people did i mean i know that loads of people did like and this stuff kind of works quite well with mask for example mm. but yeah i mean they, they obviously there's some crossover appeal but i mean i didn't who owns it now 
Like, is there someone who actually owns... Oh, I have a guess. It's Hasbro. Of course it fucking is. Really? <laughs> who owns everything now? <laughs> but, so, has is is this toy line ever been... Has it ever been relaunched, rebooted in any sense? No. Ever? Never. Ever. Not even like a special edition NASA thing, like a... No. Wow. Never. So um, I suppose I should go into why it wasn't a success. Um, (laughs) So Coleco, who made the line, were quite well known in a way for having having a success and then quickly following it by a massive flop. Right. By kind of like overstretching themselves. Mm -hmm. So they'd go, oh God, we're making money, we're making money, quick, buy everything. And then, and then whatever they bought would fall to pieces, and then they'd have to start again. Right. So they um they started as like a leather, um le- made their company making leather straps and bindings for like shoes and stuff. Okay. And they, oh, I mean Hasbro started making by making pencils and shit. So you know, that's like, true. Yeah, yeah. It's, wow. it's no different, you know. But yeah, um, they were making these leather shoes. I think they started making like, um. I think they started making kind of cowboy gear for kids or something. And that's how they kind of got into the toy market. Mm. But at the same time, they were also making paddling pools and swimming pools. But then they ended up kind of jumping on the, um, on the home, on the, on the video game bandwagon Mm. um, by the Atari. Atari was, you know, the first big um, home video gaming uh, push, you know, the first generation of home video games, Atari with Pong mm. and so on. And they kind of made their own Pong clone. Um, it was it was a machine called the Telstar, which was like a kind of, yeah, a home Pong game thing with you know, little paddles or a turny, turny thing. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they sold like gangbusters. They were massively successful. And then they kind of started um, making console cartridges and handhelds and tabletop arcade machines and things like that. In fact, a friend of mine, a friend who... Transformers and also a published writer about these things, uh, Mike Diver. He's writing oh, yeah. a book about um, about those tabletop arcades, and Coleco made those. But then, it, when there was a video game crash in like 1983, they got burnt from that. So they mm. kind of went, "Oh shit, what we're going to do next?" And they tried to make a home computer that didn't work. That was a massive flop. And they and then they created um, Cabbage Patch dolls, which were a massive hit. Yeah. Like they were gigantic for about a year. <laughs> like, like they were the, the biggest toy that Christmas and huge. And then Coleco just went, right, oh, great, we're making money again. And they went out and bought a board games company and this and that and the other. And again, flopped again. <laughs> and Starcom was kind of their last, their last ditch attempt. Mm. And it just... I think due to it being released when the, the the boys toy market was so saturated with, you know, the massive stuff of the 80s, like uh, G.I. Joe, Transformers, He-Man, Mask, uh, Real Ghostbusters, um, Turtles had just come out. Mm. Like, there was so much stuff for it to compete with that it just didn't capture the imaginations of the kids. And yeah. the, to- the the cartoon wasn't particularly great. There was a very, very short-lived comic in the UK, I found out. Very short-lived. Okay. So, yeah, it it wasn't... It just didn't quite... Didn't quite grab the kids' attention enough. And it was uh, it was over within, like, a year or so. And Mattel 
bought up the license and kept selling them for a few years. It ended in the US and then continued. They continued to because it started in 1986. And they continued to sell toys up until about 1990 in Europe. Wow. So not bad, really. Four years. But in the U- in the US, I think they only got like a year, maybe two tops. Wow. <laughs> and then eventually Hasbro bought it. Yeah, eventually Hasbro bought up everything from Coleco. Wow. So I think Mattel just owned the license to sell Starcom for a number of years. But Hasbro bought up Coleco, Lock, Stock and Barrel once they folded. Because they, they went bankrupt. So Hasbro own it now, pretty much. It's another thing in their vault that they refuse to do anything with. Well, yeah, like mask, like all sorts. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd rather they didn't. That's what's wonderful about it. Because it was a flop, because it's largely forgotten, we don't have to put up with endless nostalgia shit. <laughs> yes! I don't have to watch Hasbro constantly reheat Starcom over and over again. <laughs> so not even if they did like one of those Transformer crossovers and they just made a Star Bomber transform into something. Something as little as that. Not a full reboot of the line, just... That'd be a nice little nod, wouldn't it? I guess. Yeah, I think something like that would be nice. I mean, if they don't do like Skyfire, Jetfire, or something, that doesn't. Why... Yeah, no, <laughs> no, they'd make it transform into a, into one of the pilots, wouldn't they? That's the kind of stupid <laughs> shit they do. <laughs> they wouldn't even make it transform into a Transformers character. Here's Crowbar. Yeah, that's what you all want. <laughs> the crowbar that turns into a half seven. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, let's let's talk about the actual toys, then, shall we? A bit a bit more in depth. Are there any ones that particularly um, caught your eye? Um, well, apart from the Shadow Bat, and what's the the what the 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 bases the the it's one of the other one of the other yeah. There's two base base set. There's two base play sets. The one that has got the door thing. Yeah, so the, that's the, the one. So my brother had that the um, the star starbase command. That's a really cool base. Yeah, <laughs> in that terms one, of like old bases, that suffers from serious yellowing. That one. Oh. Um, <laughs> but no, no, that no, that was a br- that was brilliant. And my brother had it, and like, yeah, what's what was great about it was that you had like um, so it's basically like a kind of moon base, really. And um, you have a little command chair in there and you get a guy, you get a, a commander guy with it. And um, it has a little cannon mm. and the, you wind the cannon up and then the cannon turrets will spin. But only when you put a guy in the cannon seats, the magnets on his feet activate the, the rotating cannon. This is really cool. That's a really, that's a really cool. Yeah, yeah. And then they also had an airlock, a working airlock. So... I don't know what... Underneath the floor of the airlock, there is a magnet on a on a lever. That mm. you, when you move the lever, it moves backwards and forwards. So you move the lever, and the guy who's stuck to the magnet through the floor, you move it, and the magnet moves under the floor and drags the guy through the airlock, and the door slides open as he goes through the first one and closes behind him. And then the, the second door slides open. He, he goes straight through it, and all by you moving this lever. When I saw it in action, it's, it's incredible that that was not like I don't know toy technology that was used more. Like it's really cool. Mm. Um, 
I don't I don't know if it's a, a thing to do with like the magnets or the the size of the figure that really makes it work as well as it does, but it's it's really cool. Like the Describing it does not do it justice. You have got to see it, and we see yeah, it. yeah, yeah. You look it up. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is unbelievable. Like, yeah, the 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 magnets are really strong. Like, they they didn't cheap out on them, which is great because they could be really kind of like weak magnets or mm. whatever. And they stick on perfectly. They don't fall off. No one falls off. And yeah, like that that's that's PlayStation also had a uh, radar dish that would turn if you stood a guy in front of the console that operated it. Mm. That's all you had to do. Just plonk the guy down. And no batteries. None. Zero. Why was that a thing? Like why why was that such a a pushing force on the toy line? Like is that was there a big like problem with batteries at the time? Like I mean No, was... I just I just think it was an innovation. I just think they went, you know what, we could do this with clockwork. Because right, so for example, the Starmax bomber, like the the cargo bay, which is the power deploy feature mm. of the Starmax bomber, right? You, it's it's completely clockwork, as it were, and it doesn't need winding because you wind it by resetting it. Mm. That rewinds it. And so many of them work that way. So there is no need for any external power source because you're rewinding the motor every time, you know? So it doesn't need power. It's, It's very clever. And it's the same kind of motors that have been used in, in toys for years, like, you know, like pull-back-and-go motors, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. And, in fact, the um, Shadow Invader had a pull-back-and-go motor in it. But it's just the, the ones where, like, the magnets unlock that mm-hmm. ability as well is quite cool. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, it's, I don't know, just from, like, I mean, I guess now with the way, like, you know, toys are so, I don't know, updated or they're in a different pocket now but i mean back then i could definitely see the appeal and see why as a child or a young person i would have been drawn to that so i don't really understand why it didn't work unless it was just the the story attached to them i think it was a yeah failure in marketing especially Mm. in the u.s because like i say it was a bigger deal over here like i can go through what was released in the u.s and it is just the Battle Crane, the Star Wolf, the Harv Seven, which is like the the one the one that looks a bit like a, a skip truck, mm. the Laser Rat, the Rail Gunner, which is a bit like the Laser Rat but has a kind of turret on it, mm. um, the Starmax Bomber, the Shadow Invader, which is the one that had the pullback and go feature and kind of turns into it's a, basically the baddie version of the Laser Rat, the Shadow Parasite, baddie version of the Star Wolf, the mm. triangular. The really cool triangle. I love those. They're lovely. They're really, really, really cool. So the little fire. The Shadow Raider. I had that as a kid. That was... I forgot to mention that earlier. I had that. That's that's amazing. It's like a kind of tank that kind of goes up on legs. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, and, it, and when you press the power deploy button, it stretches out and a cannon pops out the top. <laughs> it's really good. And there's room for another guy to sit in the back because it's stretched out. <laughs> so there's that and then the the shadow bat and then the following year you got the starhawk which was like a double cockpit good guy ship that yeah. when you press the button it's split in two and a cannon popped out the middle yeah and um the shadow vampire baddie ship which looked a bit like the shadow bat but it kind of 
it had like vertical takeoff and landing BTOL kind of a thing. So have you seen that one? I feel like I have, but I need to refresh my memory of that one. Uh, I'll send you a quick picture of it if I can find one. It is. Duh, 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 duh. Here it is. But it, it's very similar in design to the Shadow Bat, but it faces both directions. Oh yes, and it has a trigger underneath, and when you press the trigger, the 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 engines move backwards and forwards. Oh, cool! But that was that was it though. That was as much as you got in the US. That was the end of the US line. But what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that obviously it's NASA who have played a big part in this, and America's the the place they want mm-hmm. to be getting these people to go work yeah. for NASA or join their program just knows what the numbers actually were of people who actually found their way into a job mm. because of this toy line especially maybe even on the, Euro- the european side of like yeah. people going over or something it's just interesting i've well as soon as i heard that it actually had something to do with them I was like well i don't know you did, did yeah it? be interesting to learn <laughs> i mean obviously they weren't funding it in any way so when it folded it folded they, 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 you know it wasn't they were just in conjunction with yeah yeah and the funny thing is that when um, Mattel took it over proper and started selling, reissuing it in the in Europe and so on, they took all the American flags off the um, the ships and that. They they kind of stripped it of that kind of U.S. Space Force thing because, like the show says, Starcom, mm. the U.S. Space Force, and um, so did the boxes for a long time until Marvel, um, not Marvel, Mattel took over, and they kind of phased mm-hmm. that out. Uh, it just became Starcom on its own, no, right. no US Space Force thing, and they took the flags off. That's one thing I haven't actually looked at, to be fair. I've looked at the figures themselves. I've not seen what the mm. art or the box art looks like. Really? No. Oh, it's beautiful. Not a lot of the things I was looking at had the boxes. Um, let me just go do that. link I sent you has loads of box art on. Let me just look at that. So it's all kind of red-orange with kind of the toy rendered in artwork. Mm. Even that looks cool. <laughs> yeah, so they're all really the box art's great. The boxes are really nice, and hey, look, no windows, no windows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Didn't need them then. Don't need them now. I always just find it so funny when I see carded figures like this. There's a so tiny little guy in this huge card pack. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it needed to take up some space on the shelf. Didn't it? <laughs> this shadow parasite. It reminds me. Reminds me of um. What was they called? Remember that old anime I was, was talking about, Cybot, Cy, something that has the. Uh, it's another space show in the eighties, but yeah. it had another name. Um, I'll find a picture of it, and, uh, but it's <laughs> but it, the the vehicles in that, like the spaceships, look a lot like um, the Shadow Parasite. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So they just like. Wh- so what do they do instead? If they got rid of all the American stuff, do they just like keep the same type of colour scheme and just... It did. They did keep the same kind of colour scheme for a while when they dropped the US Space Force from the packaging. Here you go. Here's one. Like, yeah, like this one. This is this is the six-shooter, which um, is rare because it was released right at the end of the line. And you can see it doesn't say US Space Force on Dave oh, Starcom. Okay. yeah. It hasn't got the American flag on it anywhere, you know. Mm. So they did do that, but then they also did some big place, some big kind of play sets that came out right, right at the end, where you got like um, a Star Max bomber, 
um, a Star Wolf, and I think you got maybe a laser rat or something. You got you got like or maybe the battle crane. You got like a, a few things together, and you got one which was which was um, a shadow bat with two shadow parasites all in the same box. Oh. You know, it sounds like they're trying to get rid of stock. But the, well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Actually, the Starfleet action set comprised of a Starmax bomber, a Starwolf, a Missile Fox, six Darkon figures, and two Shadow Force figures. Details on the Shadow Force action set are quite sketchy, but it included a Shadow Bat, two Shadow Parasites, and an assortment of figures. Needless to say, both sets are very rare indeed, and fetch a pretty penny on the collector's market. Those had very different artwork. Uh, okay. I don't have pictures of those to show you, but they're very different artwork. But like, yes, yeah, so like some of this stuff, like after they stopped doing it in America, you got loads more in the U in the UK and in Europe and Canada and and, and Asia and so on. Like Missile Fox, Shadow Bandit, uh, Shadow Spy, Shadow Blast Track, Sidewinder, Skyroller, Tornado Gunship, Mobile Action Pods, um, the Laser Artillery. The double oh, there was one ship that wasn't released called the Double Fighter, never came out. Mm. But the six shooter and the Shadow Upriser, which was like, um, that's like the, is the rarest one. You were saying, isn't that the most like expensive or ridiculously priced on the second hand market? It's, it goes for like a, uh, over a grand. <laughs> like that's how much, that's how because it's hard to find in good condition. If you've got it in good condition, like it's hard to find in good condition and working condition. Because the thing about these things is that the those motors fail. Yes. over time yeah, yeah. so like the shadow upriser is basically like a mobile um landing platform mm. and it rises up on on a on a kind of like uh two crossing kind of struts either side it rises up to and the platform kind of folds out so you could land any enemy ships on the top of it and then um it, it has a lift up the back <laughs> and you can put the and you put a guy on the lift and it starts lifting the guy up, like, because the magnets set it off. That's so cool. <laughs> it is really good. There's loads of great things in the line like that. For instance, like the Shadow, um, Shadow Spy, which it's, it's, a, it's an enemy fighter that turns into, a, in, turns into a Starcom crate. Yes, yes, I did see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. And not only does it do that, so it can look like a Starcom crate and it can fit inside a Starcom ship and it can, you know, mingle in. When it's transformed into a fighter, it's the exact right shape to fit onto the wing of a shadow bat. Oh. Just like a shadow parasite does. <laughs> they thought about it all. It's a really well put together toy line. What do, you, what do you think was the draw outside of America then for this toy line that just didn't connect with the kids uh, in America? Because obviously, you, was the cartoon available yeah, like, did you watch it on not TV? That I'm, not that I'm aware of. Was it on VHS? Yeah, I think it might have been more like that. I don't remember it being on television. I think maybe there's just less competition uh, here than there was over there. Yeah. And maybe British kids are just smarter. <laughs> yeah. I mean... We didn't need silly TV shows, like, constantly bombarding us with... Um, although we did have them, it wasn't as bad as it was in America. You know, constantly vying for your attention. That's, Do you know what I mean? Like, true. like in America, you had cable television. You had, you could watch cartoons any any time of the bloody day. You know, you could put Nickelodeon on. 
we didn't have that here. Not really, unless you had satellite television and few people did in the eighties. So you didn't have that kind of constant bombardment, which is, again, it goes back to why I think the comics were a bigger deal here in here than they were in America, like Mm. for Transformers, for example, or for GI Joe action force, like the comics were a bigger deal because the TV show wasn't as omnipresent you know you see you, you brought that up earlier so there was a comic as well right yeah really really short-lived it was it was basically a secondary strip in eagle uh, eagle was a boys um uh comic book okay of the time basically though yeah i did look into it and like there was a 3d comic book drawn by gary leach who again you won't know who that is but he's quite famous he was the guy who drew Miracle Man, which was one of um uh Oh, in the um Justice League International. No. No. Oh. <laughs> That's Mr. Miracle. Oh, close enough. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> so he's Miracle Man. Um so Miracle Man was an old character. It was basically a kind of rip-off of um Shazam or um Captain Marvel. Okay. A British ripoff, but he got picked up by um, Alan Moore, and mm. Alan Moore wrote Miracle Man for a while, and it was a lot of people think it's well, it is it is it's, it for the time it was incredible, oh. like it was re- it was really quite dark. Some really awful shit happens in it. Oh. It's it's a lot it's a lot more adult than you'd expect it to be. Yeah, from a name like uh, from that, I would have thought it was. Uh... Oh, and it's and it's famously it's famously been through a huge kind of um, wrangling because Miracle Man is now owned by Marvel. They changed its name to Marvel Man. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> and Alan Moore's like, I do, if you reprint it, I don't want my name on it. Oh, so now they did reprint it. They reprinted it about maybe ten years ago, maybe fifteen years ago. They reprinted it, um, and I Gary Leach is sadly dead now. He was the artist on it. I got him to sign my first copy of the copy. And on the credits, it says art by Gary Leach, script or story by the original writer. <laughs> Alan Morders doesn't want to be involved. Oh. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so Gary Leach drew this 3D comic. And um, then there was um, like four, there was oh, three part strip in Eagle, like in three issues of Eagle. Um, published and drawn by another guy, Sandy James, apparently. Um, but that was it. So in a way, yeah, it wasn't supported as well as a lot of other stuff, but it did last longer here. I think it just had a little bit more more air to breathe, I think. Well, maybe that's it then. I mean, it's so... That's. I mean, obviously, that's something that I can never really have a hand in experiencing because obviously I'm hearing it through second-hand stories or mm-hmm. what actually people at the time grew up with. But from my understanding of, like... 80s toy lines and things sometimes it is a bit i have to look, i have to view it through that lens of what was going on here versus mm-hmm. what was going on in america because they all kind of bleed together sometimes and i shouldn't look at it that way um, yeah. <laughs> yeah because it's different isn't it yeah very like, very different yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean it's just a, sh- a huge shame it was so short-lived because it was an amazing toy line and very unique, like with a really great kind of play pattern and like interactivity between the toys. I, I, I'm really enjoying re- rediscovering it. And 
I took the, st- the most of this stuff along to the pub with me to m- meet my friends who also collect Transformers, and they were blown away by it, <laughs> young and old. Like <laughs> Hannah, who is, I think, 28, 29, she thought it was fantastic, mm-hmm. really into it. And then um, Mike, who I mentioned earlier, who's writing that book, he was like so excited to see a Star Wolf <laughs> and play with it. Like, it's just it's just a really, really well put together line. And, um, you know, you've got the, the Magnalot power deploy stuff complements each other so perfectly. Mm. Like, it, it all works together. It's not like two weird gimmicks that don't fit together. They fit together really well. And yeah, the way that everything compacts and fits inside each other, and you know, it's just it's just a great line. Um, it's quite interesting how like there's not maybe you experience some of it now because of some of the stuff might be wearing um, wearing out or mm-hmm. as it goes time goes on. But I mean, like it doesn't from what I've seen, there doesn't seem to be much compromises because of those gimmicks either. Like there's not like a a real big drawback that this thing has to fit this other thing in it or. You know, yeah, know, like wherever the gears or the mechanic bits of it have to fit in, it doesn't seem like it's a hindrance to the toy line as as well. Like, a lot, which you see in other toy lines a lot, a lot of. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it it's all really complementary. Yeah, like I mean, apart from maybe the little plastic visors on the on the guys get lost immediately. Okay, um, that's not a great idea because uh, they just pop off. This but, and the and the co's are the things that people always lose. The hose and the things they come with. Yeah, the hoses that go went went from the guns to the backpacks. Yeah, they're easy to lose as well. And that you know, wing the, the little wing tips on on the uh, on this come off easily, and you can oh, easily wow, lose okay. that. <laughs> but, but like, but generally, no, it's just it's a really well put together line, and and it's really collectible because there's only a certain amount of it, and there will never be any more because Hasbro won't do it. So, you know, it's lovely. It's yeah. great. There we go. Anything more you'd like to say about Starcom? Um, okay, so I was thinking about this and I didn't I didn't have a look actually, um, but there's something I was gonna ask you. Like, what if they made a game of it? Do you think it would would that work? What, like a do you mean like a computer game, video yeah, game? Like a modern computer game with this type of thing going on. Maybe more like um What's the game that you like playing? XCOM, XCOM. type of thing where it's more um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I always thought that XCOM would make a good toy line. Yeah, like they could. Yeah, they could make XCOM toys. But yeah, I, I don't see why not. But I just don't know. I just don't know if the world is ready for kind of utilitarian sci-fi vehicles anymore. I don't know if they're well, really into it. Well, that's why I bring up XCOM because it's more of a strategy type game versus yeah. blasting, shooting them up type stuff. Like it's more would fit yeah. more into the science of it. Well, there are there are. There are games that are similar. Oh yeah, that, to they, this. They, they, that does definitely exist. But I just mean yeah. whacking that Starcom label on it. I think that yeah. would, would that work? I suppose. I suppose in a way, though, the the, the brand no longer has any um, pull Perfect, because no yeah. one remembers it. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, like maybe it doesn't. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth paying Hasbro for the license. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe one day Hasbro will revisit it, but I find it mm, unlikely. We'll see. All right. Anything else, or have we done Starcom? Um, I guess the uh, the question that I I would have for you now, as a vintage mm. collector looking back at the line, is there any 
like we were talking about before about the color schemes and things are you tempted to go and like customize any of them um customize no but i have bought repost repro stickers for them okay um to like spruce them up and i mean if i if i needed to repair one i would repair it you know what i mean i'd find i mean i did have to repair the gun on on uh, the star wolf because the little pegs that hold them in you probably can't see them too well but they're mm. really really fragile and the peg has bust on this one and okay. so i had to put a little bit of a a little bit of super glue underneath it to keep it to make it stay in but um but yeah i mean i i would maybe repair them or put put new stickers on i don't know if i'd ever want to go as far as to get into all that kind of like reversing what uh, yellowing kind of business because that's a lot but I do find that kind of thing interesting. I do like the idea of um, doing uh, what, what do you call them um, restorations oh, yes. on these things. Yeah. I do find that interesting, and I do find people who do that interesting, and that's the effect what people are able to do. Um, well, I only quite subtly. I only ask you because I know that you've got that type of artistic skills, and your painting, and your you know the stuff that oh, you I, do. I suppose if I need, I did think about repainting a bit of it the other day but uh, i didn't need to in the end uh, i found a really guy a really good guy who's been kind of selling me this stuff and uh yeah one of the one of the wings from the uh star max bomber it was rusty and i said oh you know i couldn't see that in the photos and you know i know you've got a load of them so do you mind sending me another one and he was like oh yeah i will do and he did it was just great oh, there you go. but i was thinking i could repaint that um white but yeah, I mean, yeah, here and there, if I need to, I will do a bit of touching up. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, because that would I would be I would be very very tempted because I mean the the shadow bats look amazing as they are, but I mean, I don't know. Well, next time I see you in person, I will bring along a few for you to have a play with. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and by then I might have some shadow force. So. That's 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 the that's the money ones for me. I, I would love that. <laughs> if Hasbro is going to bring it back, I'll at least do them. So, uh, yeah. Worry about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that was our guide to the much underrated toy line and deservedly underrated cartoon Starcom. Sadly forgotten by time, and therefore, thankfully, not enjoying the unwanted attention of endless nostalgia cash-ins. Yay! <laughs> do you remember Starcom, or is it all new to you? What do you think of it? Why not let us know on social media? Search for us on all of them. You should be able to find us easily enough. Uh, you can find me in particular on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Gear Orion and Orion underscore Gear, respectively. Virtual Dave, where can our listeners send their fan mail to? You can always find me on Instagram or Twitter at virtualdave26. Great. Just to say, we uh, we might be back for our customary end-of-year podcast. Maybe. <laughs> but uh, the loose monthly schedule of Arg My Optics is likely to slip a bit over the coming months as Dave and I put it on the back burner and explore other projects. Mm-hmm. For me, that means uh, Galactosh and myself launching a new comic space podcast called We've Got Back Issues in the New Year. So look out for that. Dave has been characteristically vague about his future plans. Anything you can tease, Dave? Um, subscribe to me on YouTube. More is coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. What is your YouTube handle? Virtual Dave 26. There we go. <laughs> So you, need to, you need to give that information out if you want people to subscribe. Oh, if anyone knows, that's that's me. If, if you find Virtual yeah. Dave 26, it's me. Uh... Well, there you go. There you go. 
Um, well, but don't worry, um, the two of us will definitely be getting back together for the occasional Arctics. And um, we still need to finish off the Unicron trilogy that we started, don't we? We do so, indeed. Don't worry, yeah. our uh, our planets are in danger. We'll do it. Oh, God help me. <laughs> what have I done? Well, um, with that bombshell, we're going to sign off. Uh, as per usual, don't forget that if you enjoyed this podcast, you can let us know by liking, subscribing, sharing, reviewing. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening, and please join us next time on... Oh, my